Hey, if you're in professional sales, I know that you're interested in how to build sales skills, how to build sales strategies, how to improve sales prospecting, all those things for 2024. We talk about those things a lot on the podcast. Today, I've got a special guest, Matt Nettleton, who is in the similar business that we are in terms of coaching and training salespeople. He's an old friend. He's been on the podcast before. I think you'll really like this interview with Matt Nettleton. Well, as I said in my preamble, we are speaking today with sales trainer and coach extraordinaire, Matt Nettleton. Matt, good afternoon. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Bill? I'm good. I just told uh, Matt a story about thinking that I saw him at the gym the other day, approaching him as if it was him, only to find out it wasn't him. So uh, we got a, a good chuckle out of that. I well, I said the, the world is populated with men with giant bald domes, so I can understand the mistake. <sighs> Yeah, but you guys are more than just that in terms of doppelgangish. I mean, you're pretty pretty close, and you know the guy I'm talking about. Yes. So anyway, yeah, we are. So I wanted to uh, uh, Matt reached out to me the other day and said uh, you want to do another podcast. We had done one I think a couple months ago, and uh, I get a lot of uh, requests to be on the podcast from sales trainers and sales coaches, and I always say no because. I have my method of how I want to teach people and other people come in. If there, if there's too many variables, then it, it doesn't, it's a, a, conf, a conflict. And so, but Matt is not that guy, Matt. And I have, I think similar perspectives. We have some differences. We're going to talk about what some of those are today, but um, Matt, I'd like to start with uh, this idea of we're heading into a new year and you know, we always, I know part of what you do in your business with leaders and sales professionals is teach skills and not just, not just tactical skills, but strategic skills as well. So as we head into this new year, uh, what are some of the skills that you think sales professionals and leaders, if you want to go there, need to have that might have been different than the past couple of years? Do you have any thoughts as I ask that? Yeah. So the, the first thing that I think leaders and salespeople need to work on is their ability to think rather than immediately do. Um, I, you know, we, we both deal with companies that have to find new business. Yep. And we talked about this in the last podcast, but I don't think it's gotten any better. Most companies simply refuse to look at existing clients as if there are business opportunities there. So true. And they spend so much of their time actively searching for strangers they don't know <laughs> that are willing to do business with them immediately so that they can make their number rather than discovering opportunities with people they're already doing business with. But by discovering the opportunities with the data they already have, rather than blundering around in a phone book, hoping for the best. <laughs> So I, what's the phone book, man? What's the phone book? That's what a phone book is. Uh, that's, I, yeah, that, I've just stated myself. I guess I'll, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll put that on the cassette tape and play it back later. Yeah, we'll cut that out. Travis, you want to cut that phone book. You know? <laughs> there we go. Um, so that, that would be the first thing, you know, yeah. realizing that the, the problem that most people have with prospecting is they don't think about where they want to end up. And, and what they're really, what the real opportunity is. I mean, the example that I use with actual customer data is a client of mine that, that came to me and said, hey, we'd like to grow 7% in the next 12 months. We'd like to grow 7%. Can you help us? And so I said, well, here's the exercise we're going to do. And we went through the exercise and 
we found out that if we had simply sold 100% of the opportunity to their top 12 customers, which was 6% of their client base, okay, that they could grow their business by 400%. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, this is only the top 12. I, I guess if we looked at the other 488, with probably some opportunities there as well. Um, but, you know, 400% is better than seven. But don't you think the the problem there is that a lot of companies, the sales professional who is out uh, harvesting new business is not the same person who is actually mining the current client for opportunity. Some some they are, and then it makes sense. But I think a lot of times it's the account manager, account developer, or, or client success, whatever that means. Um, and so those people aren't as skilled, possibly. And so they're not, Do you don't you think that just the responsibility needs to be improved? So this, this goes back to the thinking thing. Um, if you've created a system that leaves a 400% growth opportunity on the table, and your response is, but our system has people in that spot that can't do that, then you've created a crappy system. Yeah, change the system. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and so not that, uh, you know, when we were coming up, you know, over the 90s, you know, people would talk about farmers and hunters. Right. And, right. and so, you know, you put the farmers on existing clients and you put the hunters in the field. Yeah. And they just, those hunters are supposed to drag back new sales and drop them off and let the farmers take care of them. That's right. That's right. But those farmers are sitting on a gold mine. Yeah, that's right. Um, acres of diamonds. Yep. And, and if you keep looking for new stuff and you keep walking away from right, what's right underneath your feet, well, I don't care how well you're executing your system, your system sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I had a client years ago who was in the telecom business and, uh, I had this very conversation with him. His name's Pete. And, and I went in and he said, oh, it's kind of a similar thing. I, I need you to help. We've got 20 salespeople and I want you to help us grow our business. And, and one of my first questions is, well, how many current clients do you have in the state of Indiana? That was their franchise. And he said, uh, well, I want new business. I said, okay, but, but start with how many current clients? He said, 2,500 yeah. 2,500 people. I said, is it possible that you could sell them just a smidge more? He goes, oh yeah. I mean, most of them buy one product from us and we've got seven products in the lineup. He goes, absolutely. I said, well, if you want to triple your business, you don't need any new cu customers at all. Right. Yeah, I know. But, and we finally, we, I finally brought him around after some cajoling and uh, said, look, we, we've got to work with your existing. And, and in that case, their existing sales team also took care of existing accounts. So it was a little bit easier. We didn't have to train a whole new group, but I love well, that. I think that's so true. Well, one of the things that everybody thinks is new is account-based selling, where you have a yeah. team of sellers call on a team of buyers and everybody's like, oh my God, that's the newest it's thing ever. Radical. It's Unbelievable. Yeah, and you can do it with software. And you know, when I was with Coca-Cola USA, and we were selling to Hardee's and McDonald's and Wendy's. It wasn't one person calling on, you know, Joe and accounting at, at McDonald's. And Joe says, yeah, I think we'll stick with Coke. We had marketing teams and regional managers. We, we had a multitude of people calling on all these large national accounts with strategies and plans that were built for franchisees and corporate locations and buying groups. And I, you know, I think we've lost sight of the fact that you have to have people 
talk to people, or in the words yes. of my first boss, John Goodwin, you need to go out and bump bellies yeah. to find out what they need and what they're looking at and what you should be helping them with rather than, hey, listen, I, you know, you told me this, I'm just going to go do it. And, yeah. you know, you, didn't, you don't talk to the other 29 people that have responsibility for outcomes. So then one skill uh, that you think we should all be mindful of is the skill of selling to people we already know. Uh, in addition to out cold outreach, I know that's that's going to be there, but uh, I think that's really good. I think it's really good. Also, even if you're a even if you're a frontline sales professional, I think there are people that you have come in contact with over the last five years that you have dropped the ball on. You haven't talked to them, and they could be good prospects today. Maybe they were lost sales two years ago, but shit changes in two years. So, well, it ch- in ninety days. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the. And, and so when somebody says no to you as a salesperson, it's not like they're saying, Bill, I'm not going to buy from you today. I'm not going to buy from you tomorrow. In fact, I am never going to buy from you. Yeah. Never call me again. We will never do business. If you get that, okay, you can move on. We'll give yeah. you the permission to move on then. But the reality is everybody's like, yeah, it's a no for now. Yeah. Yeah. I think one skill that sales professionals uh, in next in the next year need to be better. And I like your idea of thinking. I, I I don't think we think enough. I think we, and and I think our managers sometimes are uh, the impetus for that. Good. Just go do, just go do, just go make calls, just go do. And it's like, wait a minute. Okay. I'm going to make a call on uh, Coca-Cola. And before I just start picking up the phone, calling people, what's our strategy? What's our approach here? What's our strategy? Are we going to invite them in for a plant tour? Are we going to do a webinar and invite them to it? Are we going to do a series of videos? Are we just going to, are we just going to call and say, Hey, let's get together sometime for coffee. And I, I, I think the other thing, you know, managers are often nothing more than spreadsheet jockeys. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, they managers get judged by their bosses. Hey, look, I'm looking at the numbers. This spreadsheet looks yeah. terrible. What do the numbers say? Yeah. And, and but the numbers don't reflect that you've actually made, con- you know, progress. They don't have that you have an actual opportunity. They don't have. So, you know, as a salesperson, we're pretty simple. Hit the button, get the food pellet. Yeah. You tell me I got to manage a number. I'm going to manage a number. Yeah. But we don't manage what goes into that number. We don't manage the inputs of that number. We want the output. But if you ask a person, well, how are you going to get to a 20% increase? Well, I'm just going to make more calls. I'm just yeah. going to have more proposals in the pipeline. Like, wait a minute. Really? You're already working 60 hours a week. You're just going to work another 30 to do yeah. that? Come on. Yes. So I published something here, uh, pivoting just a little bit. <clears throat> I published uh, a document called Five Bold Moves for 2024. And, and you got a copy of that. And you said you had some... Uh, questions or just some differences of opinion. And I, I think that's healthy. So let's, let's go through that All right. uh, if we can. And let me pull that up here. I'm going to go through these one at a time. And okay. you, you tell me where you might uh, have a difference, difference of opinion, total disagreement. That's fine. I mean, that's the, the healthy part of two guys who do similar things, but not we don't do them in exactly the same way. That's the whole idea of this. So yeah. number one of my bold moves was you, everybody needs to have a personal brand plan. And yes. my, my theory there is that, you know, if you're in business to business sales today, your company brand matters. Absolutely. But your personal brand does too. And if you want to future proof your business, either with the current company you're with, or if there's going to be shakeups and chaos and drama, like there is in the marketplace, maybe there's a new opportunity for you. You need to build your personal brand. So tell me where I'm, where I'm right and where I'm not. 
So I, I think you're 100% right that having a brand plan is important. What I would what I would add to that, so it's more of an and than a but. Okay. Um, what I would add to that is you have to practice your brand. And, and you have to practice your brand by taking that that brand plan and operational it. You know, you got to make it something that people can see. When when somebody gets in trouble, you know, they're they are going to rely on the brand that they know or the brand that they're aware of. Um, regardless of what you sell, people are looking at you on a regular basis. And, and, and the content that you put out on LinkedIn, the content that you put out on Instagram, if you're a Snapchat or a TikTok person or you make use of Twitter or you're active in industry specific organizations or groups, you know, that stuff matters. And so it, it is good to have a brand plan. It is better to execute it. I love it. I love it. So that, that would be my, my disagreement yeah. with that first one. No, I, I like that. And uh, I find that the re I think the reason I'm not trying to get defensive here, maybe it sounds like it, uh, is I don't even think like most of us, most people have a brand plan. So, but you're right. Once you have a plan, like one of your plans might be, I'm going to post to, uh, it's, it's the brand plan doesn't have anything to do with posting. It has to do with how do I become less obscure in my market? How do I become easy to find, easy to connect with, easy to like, know, and trust? How do I make it easy for my prospects to find me and to connect with me. Well, I, so I, I would say that, you know, for most of us, we come up with a brand plan. We just need to Chester, Car Chester Carlson it to death. And Chester Carlson is the guy that invented the photocopier in 1938, mm -hmm. right? Very few of us are coming up with brand plans that are entirely unique, never been done before. That's true. And so what we need to find out is, hey, you know, if that's what you want to be, find somebody who's already done it and then go photocopy what they did. You know, put your little twist on it, but you're going to get 90% of the way there right. just photocopying. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to skip number two here where I talk about distribution because that's kind of the similar thing. Yeah. Uh, number three here was get your analog right. And I feel like most sales professionals today remain in the analog game, meaning everything is hand-to-hand -hand combat, everything is grinded out, everything is is analog, meaning I'm going to make a call, I'm going to make a phone call on somebody, that's an analog device, even though it, it's digital. But the point is that I can only be calling one person. If I'm going to be on the phone with Matt Nettleton, I'm only talking to Matt, I'm not talking to thousands of people. And I feel like we need to start to graduate up that ladder from analog to digital to to other people's stages and to our own platforms. And so, but you do have to get your analog right because if you're going to be in front of people, you better you better know how to conduct yourself. So I, I agree with that. And in, in fact, I would I would tell you that most salespeople spend too much screen time trying to figure out how to do business without the phone involved at all. And you know, again, when we got into business, there was no voicemail and there was no caller ID. And so you would call people on a phone number and it was unbelievable. They would actually answer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they didn't answer, you would, you know, leave, you'd be able to leave a message with a right. live body and they would return the call. Right. Um, 
you know, that's not true any longer. Um, now there's caller ID. Now there's voicemail. And now in iOS 17, there's live voicemail, which I don't know if you played with it all, but is terrifying. <laughs> so if you remember answering machines, right, you start to leave a voicemail on an answering machine, you can pick up in the middle of it. Well, now you can do that on your iPhone. Oh, okay. okay. So it's, it's live okay. transcription. No, yeah. But one of the things that, you know, when you, when I hear get your analog right, you know, one of the first questions I ask salespeople is what, what is the three email or three voicemail sequence that you have for clients and prospects already teed up and scripted? Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, if you're going to call somebody, there's a 95 plus percent chance you're getting voicemail. Correct. Correct. The time to practice a voicemail is not when you're under live fire, leaving a voicemail for a prospect or a client. And so, you know, getting your analog right to me means I love build that. a plan, yep. practice the plan, and then know whether or not you've executed the plan. Yeah, you're right. You know, you, you hear a lot of winging it. Uh, and I've, I've got, we've all gotten voicemails from people and they go on and on and on. And it's just clear that there's no, there's no strategy to it. It's just all winging. It's just a bunch of words, a big word salad. Yeah. Uh, but I love your idea of scripting those things out, keep it on your phone so that when you have to leave a voicemail, just refer to it until which time you don't need to refer to it, but it's clear, it's concise, it's to the point, it's friendly. And if you do that two or three times, your odds go way up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I like that. Uh, number four here was learn AI. Uh, you know, a year ago, I'm sure you relate to this. We started hearing about AI and chat GPT and AI is going to take over the world. And, and as with anything new, I think the learning curve is a bit is a little steep. It's not it's not long. It just requires some work. But I do think it's important for sales professionals to learn how AI can help them, whether it's help them with creating content, whether it's helping them with uh, documentation of process, whether it's maybe even outreach. You know, you can do a lot with profiles. I, I had a call the other day with a CEO of a logistics company, and I I went and said write a 500 word profile on this dude. And it came back and I learned a lot about him. I mean, I felt like I knew him and it was a much easier call. I didn't reference, Hey, I understand you have three kids. I, well, it wasn't creepy like that, but yeah. you went to Yale. And so I thought, okay, we're dealing with the yeah. person. Dude Yale. Here. You know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I, I went to Columbia, so we don't like Yale people. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like ben. Bad example. So yeah. what do you think about AI and, and how people need to be thinking about that? So I, I think people need to, to demystify AI. Um, when AI, you know, burst onto the scene, the immediate response was, oh, my God, this will put people out of business. Nobody will have jobs ever. And, and the reality is, uh, you know, well, let me go back. When I was first in the workforce, I loaded trucks. That was my first job. It was PVC pipe in hmm. coils and bundles. Uh, it was a very interesting job, but my my boss wore a shirt to work one day and said the computers can't replace me until they teach it to drink beer, mm. and it's and that's still true. I mean, the reality is it the the computers only do what we tell them to. The AI only answers the questions right. you ask. You can only follow your prompts. It, it is it is possible that there will be an evolution of AI at some point that comes up with truly original ideas, but until then, they're just large language learning models, and they're just copying and seeing patterns and recombining stuff, which is That's why right. you end up with pictures with six fingers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, last year in oh, 
probably March, I was playing around with chat GPT and I rewrote uh, a LinkedIn post that one of my buddies had put up and it was about Kevin Costner and I put it up and I actually had 85,000 impressions based on the chat GPT rewrite. Wow. wow. Not original content, but 85,000 impressions is a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a so lot. If, if you use it right, for the right things, it has value. Yeah. But it's not going to replace you. It's not going to replace you. But I do think that we as sales professionals have to get in the habit of asking ourselves, when we get ready to sit down and do something like write an email, or we have to say to ourselves, now, can I use AI for this? Not to not to copy and paste, but because AI is pretty good with language and with taking, like you said, it's a large language model. So it's good at, at adjectives and nouns. It's good at uh, kind of assembling a, an email or a piece of content. I think we should start thinking, can AI help us with this? Try it. It takes 30 seconds to create a prompt and it takes AI five seconds to deliver something. And if after that you say, no, oh, that sucked, uh, no way, then go back. But well, we've got to start thinking about it. But it's a power tool for sales. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, we would laugh at somebody that refused to, to use a circular saw, <laughs> right. right? I don't know why we wouldn't laugh at somebody that refused to use an AI. I mean, it's, it's a tool. Totally agree. Totally agree. So we both agree on that, that we just, we all need to be playing with it, working with it, trying to, you know, it's the, it's a game of prompting. That's all it is. Um, I had my uh, mother-in-law passed over the holidays right before Christmas and she was oh, 87. Yeah. It's, it was very sad because of the time of year it came, but uh, she lived a great life and she, uh, you know, died with all her family around her in the hospital. Um, but I, I was uh, playing around with a eulogy the other night. Jane, my wife said, Hey, take a, take a stab at the eulogy. So I put in all the things that would, would be, uh, you, you know, worthy of eulogizing. And I gave it to, I use Claude, Claude.ai, not chat, but doesn't matter. And it came back with something that was, it was respectable. I was like, okay, well, I see the way it, it flowed a lot better than mine did the words. I had to change some of the words, but it's, it's good for prompting. And if you get your prompt game on, get it right. You can do great things with it. Yeah, absolutely. Number five, final one here on my five bold moves. Get out of the commodity dungeon. I say make a, con a concerted effort to never compete on price again. That may be a bridge too far for some, but I think if we at least have that as our being mindful as that's our goal is we don't want to compete on price, that gets you out of the commodity dungeon. And you say? Refuse to accept commodity status. Now, I... I I don't believe that there is anything sold by any company that is truly a commodity. Totally agree. Totally. And, and, and if you accept the idea from your buyer, who, by the way, benefits from convincing you that you're a commodity, mm -hmm. then that's on you, not on your buyer. Your buyer is acting in his own self-interest to put you there. And, and you should have the mindset that you know, if you're selling graphite powder, which can be bought by the ton and is identical regardless of who you buy it from. Same mine, yep. Same, same mine, same graphite, same chemical composition. Your your expertise, your ability to deliver on a timely manner, to come up with ideas that are helpful, to your account management skills should have value. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, well, at some point. An AI can replace you because then an <laughs> that's, AI that's right. can, can do put out a bid, three AIs can answer it, yeah. and they can agree on a price, a weight, 
and a delivery time. Yeah. And the AIs can handle it all. They don't need you. Well, remember, we went through that phase here 10 or 15 years ago where everything was going out to bid. You couldn't call the person back. What was that called? It was universal bidding or there was a name for it. Oh, there, there, and it got to the, to the, the illogical conclusion where it was people were doing reverse Dutch auctions. Right. Right. I do. Remember. But, yeah. Well, put out a service manual and say, OK, who wants to bid lower? To yeah. you know, over the next twenty nine days, and low bid wins to provide service compliant with these requirements, and yeah. and then you had companies fighting to cut their price. Like, yeah. I, what the hell's wrong with you yeah. people? Yeah, and I think buyers finally figured out. Well, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good for anybody. This is no. I'm working crappy products at low prices, and yeah. that, that kind of went away. Um, yeah, my my thinking on the commodity dungeon is it really is up to the sales team, salesperson, sales organization to create create the difference makers, create the uniqueness, be able to craft their message of uniqueness and deliver it to somebody with the uh, with the backup, with digital backup, with stories, with videos, with other things, so that when somebody gets time, it's time to make a decision. People say, "Well, why would we not buy from Matt or Bill?" What, what, what? What, what's a good reason not to, and, and they can't come up with it. And so it's not about features and benefits. To me, it's a whole lot broader than that. Well, it, you know, one of the things that I teach is that discovery on a sales call is the discipline of asking questions you believe you know the answer to. Mm-hmm. And usually what happens when you start asking questions that you believe the know, you know the answer to is you discover things that you actually don't know. Yeah. And ironically enough, when you find out stuff you don't know, you'll discover reasons people would be willing to pay you for things that they need that nobody else knows either. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where you, you, you know, you can just simply refuse to, to accept commodity status. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Nobody drives to work in a Yugo, the cheapest car in, a little, in America, not by a little, by a lot. And the reason they don't is because Yugo tried to win the price battle. Yeah. And not only did they lose the price battle, they're no longer in business. Yeah. <laughs> That's the race to the bottom. Yeah. Race to the bottom yeah. always ends with crash. Yeah. Don't you think that uh, I, I've been playing around with some of the things that I'm teaching my clients today is this idea of transformation is not every I man. If you're just shipping graphite to somebody, I don't know if your graphite's going to transform their business. But if you're in a if you're in a solution where it is transformative or it could be transformative, if they buy from you and they buy everything from you and you and they have you to help them walk through the onboarding and all that, I'm trying to get people to understand that you've got to understand where your customer wants to go ultimately. We can talk about the pains and the problems and what they're running away from, but what are they running toward? What's the destination? Where are you taking them? If, if a person said, I'm in, where do you want to take me? We have to have an answer. We can't just say, well, I want to, I want to provide some really good solutions at a very competitive price. That's not a destination. That's just a transaction. Yeah, so I, I think, yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you know, looking forward, the fear of missing out on their future desired state is actual pain. And, it and is. I think it too is. often salespeople look at that and they go, well, that, I mean, that would just be great if it happened. But for a lot of people, if, if they don't get those incremental gains to happen, their job and their future is on the line. It is real pain. That's right. That's right. And, and, That's and right. so your graphite might not transform their business, but if your graphite's not there, they don't have a business. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so it's not just what's it cost, it's when does it get delivered and how reliable yeah. is it and how pure is it and you know how re- how how reliable are you to fix problems that are inevitably going to occur every time I use this simple product. Yeah. I have a I had a client, I still talk to him. He was with me for a couple of years and he would start his calls and this was typically a phone call for 30 minutes before a before a, a meeting face-to-face meeting. And he would start it not by asking them what their problems were and what are you trying to accomplish and what's holding you back. He would start by saying, look, you've set this meeting up. Let me tell you exactly where I can take you. And if you don't want to go here, you're not a prospect for me. And he would lay out, he would lay out, here's where I want to take you. I want to take you to a closing rate of 80% or whatever the things are. And he said, that's pain. That's the pain of not getting there. But if I can't articulate that and I rely on them to tell me what their problems are, even though they're probably going to lie to you because customers do. Uh, and they don't even know what their problems are 90% of the time. So we're yeah. relying on a question to uh, solicit information that's really, you know, a fib. But if you can say, look, here's where I want, here's where I can take you. If you, if you'll let me, if you don't want to just tell me now and he said, and it would just work magic for him. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. So I used to sell residential real estate and I was, <laughs> top 2% in the world for century 21. And one of the things that I learned was that you were better off spending a thousand dollars to put crappy builder grade carpet in a house so that it was neutral rather than leaving the orange shag that had been there for 20 years and offering people $5,000 to replace it. Can't, can't get past it. People have no imagination about what they're going towards. They understand what they've experienced. That's right. In the past, they know what they're going through currently but they really are very, very poor at articulating where they want to be. So until you can help them create that picture, until you can help them understand the pain of missing that outcome, you you really don't have as much value as you should. Yeah, that's so true. You know, as a coach, we tend to ask the question, well, where do you want to be? If we're not, if we're not saying, here's the destination, here's how I can get you there. Typically we're saying, well, where do you want to be in three, three years or five years or 10 years? It's a hard question to answer. People have not been asked that question before by their therapist, by their pastor, by their spouse. They haven't been asked that. And so when we come along, I think it's up to us, we as sales professionals, to help help them shape that answer. Yeah. Uh, don't expect them to have it out of the gate because people haven't thought like that. They just That's just not, they're trying to escape the wolves that are at their heels right now. They're not thinking about, you know. Parent- well, there's a, there's a vanishingly small percentage of the population, I would say it's less than 3%, who are actually leapers when it comes to goal setting, where they take a leap that nobody else has seen. There's, you know, 97 or more percent of the people that I talk to are stackers. They take what they've done, they add a little bit. They take what they've done, they add a little bit more. They take what somebody else has done, they add a little bit. Mm -hmm. But really, they are, you know, Chester Carlson stuff. Left and yep. right, they they copy it. They add their flair. add a little, yeah, add a little to it. Add a little flair. Add a little flair. Add a little flair. Okay, so, so as we close up, we're speaking today with Matt Nettleton. I know you know this, Matt. Uh, how should people uh, get in touch with you if they want more from you? So they can find me on LinkedIn at you know just search Matt Nettleton. Okay, uh, they can they can find my business Sandler DTB Indie on all the social media stuff, and uh, if they want to listen to the podcast, which is uh, done. Actually, surprisingly well, 80% of our listeners are from the state of Indiana, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's based on business owners in the 317 area code. Uh, they can go to defaultprofitable.com. 
Okay, but so, I don't have to be an, a Hoosier to listen to it, do I? You don't have to be, but but it is driven by Hoosier business owners. Okay. So now, Bill, we're going to put this up on my on, on my podcast stream as well. So how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, simple. They can go to Bill Kasky, C-A-S-K-E-Y.com. And uh, at that site, there's all sorts of things to sign up for, some free services, some offers that we're going to be making next year. So BillKasky.com is the best place to find me. So in conclusion, give us, uh, give us one nugget as we finish off here, something that's on your mind that maybe you're thinking about for next year and that you could help people with, just anything that, as we've talked today, you can add to the, add to the conversation. So it, everything that we've talked about today is, is how you frame your approach. It, it's the mental framework that you put it in. You know, we talked about thinking but, but I, would, I would say that it's really even framing. I mean, we're in a, an economy and a political environment and all kinds of stuff is uncertain. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just uncertain. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if you are unable to step back and, and apply thought to the marketplace, your industry, your company, and yourself, you are going to struggle. Yeah. And if you can't provide thought to your marketplace, your industry, your company, and yourself, then you really need to find an outside mentor, whether it's, you know, Bill or Matt or somebody else or somebody from SCORE or somebody that, that is not in your chain of command in your company. That's right. But but has a, a willingness to help, you know, find that person and, and help get them to help you frame your current situation and your goals appropriately. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard for us to do it ourselves. I've noticed that, and and I've you know I coach quite a few people, and and it is amazing how often after a month of working with somebody, they've totally shifted their mindset. And it's nothing. I'm. It's not any kind of magic I've got. It's just the idea of two human beings who are capable having a conversation and, and posing questions that that person may have not thought of, or they may have thought of, but they've never really given voice to. And so I I agree with you. I think a coach or a mentor, somebody to help you expand what's possible, expand your your framework of what's possible, I think is really critical. So Matt, I've enjoyed it. I always enjoy talking with you. Good job today. We'll do it again sometime. Thanks. Absolutely. Bye. Bye.